This is Iron Sports. Uh, we're pleased to have the Senior Vice President of League Operations and Communications, Tim Frank, on the line to talk about the NBA. Thanks a lot, Tim, for coming in. You've done this a couple times before in the summer, but it's great to be talking about the NBA in, in July and August. Yeah, happy to be here, Ira. How's everything going? Everything's going great in South Florida. We, uh, you know, we had a nice little run there with the Miami Heat. <laughs> so it was great. I was going to all the playoff games. Very exciting. You know, one game away from the NBA Finals, but uh, certainly not since the uh, LeBron days have we had this uh, intensity. And it was really good to be there in South Florida, in South Florida, for the Miami Heat making it to the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah, they almost pulled it out. I mean, you know, they were down the majority of that game, but. You know, I mean, one Jimmy Butler three away from maybe maybe advancing, but uh, uh, you know they're the Heat. They're always going to be there. You know, I mean, you know, it was during the bubble year they obviously made the finals. Um, you know, it's uh, they they do things the right way, and and they're always going to be competing in one form or fashion. So I guess in the NBA you've had the COVID year, which was a normal year, but then certainly the playoffs was anything but normal. Last year, the late start, and I was thinking around this time last year, I was going to my friend's party. I'm like, wow, I was going to your party, and it was like there were NBA finals on, and I didn't really want to go to someone's party because I wanted to watch not the finals, but actually just the middle of the playoffs. So this is a little bit that we got to get back to. We had a short, short summer last year, short break, but you got back to a normal season this year. You got to be happy with how the season played out, uh, being back to the regular schedule. Yeah, you know, it's really nice to have um, to, to be back in a normal routine you know we were at the owners meetings a couple of weeks ago and i said to one of the media members it was crazy to think about it but that day was the two-year anniversary of when the media arrived in the bubble and we had you know so in over a two-year period we have you know we crowned three champions um you know which is just nuts to think about and so so to hit the off season this year in a normal way have the draft have free agency uh, summer league, all of that on a normal schedule. I think it's better for everybody. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna get some guys really well rested going into the season. Um, so I, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was a hard three years, but hopefully we're coming out on the backside of it now. You have to be happy with how the league looks like in terms of every market, like teams that there are just a few markets where I say, well, there's no stars in the market. There's some teams that did make the playoffs, like say the Wizards, but they have Bradley Beal who's back. And you have Cleveland, you know, they're excited because of Darius Garland. Like it's almost like everybody, it's almost has an NFL type feel as opposed to baseball, where even if teams are saying, well, I don't know if we're going to win the title, but we're really good. And a player here, there can make a difference. You got to be happy that all these other markets, you know, that, we're, that you're strong. And so many markets are at least strong in terms of the teams having hope. And it's not just going to be a lost season. We're getting there. I mean, I, I think we felt really good with this season, with the number of, with the depth of talent um, across the league, and and I, I think um, you know it can always be better, and I and I think we'll we'll, we'll hope that it, it does you know continue to spread out and continue to for teams to get stronger and stronger um, you know throughout the league. Uh, but this year was fun. I mean, like it was really an unpredictability. Um, you know that that we haven't seen really in a long time, and and I and I think um, some of these younger teams that are coming up are only going to make it more and more exciting. And so, so yeah, I, I, absolutely. I mean, I, I I think you know it's not too common where a team is a 12 seed, uh, you know, two months in and ends up going to the finals like the Celtics did, right? It's it's not super common that the um, that a, a team like the Warriors from the three seed 
uh, end up getting home court in the finals. So, like, it's 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 getting there, and we're we think every year um, we get a little bit closer to to that sort of level that we want to be at. But um, but last year was really a fun example of it. And then to have your two top the seeds, not seeds, but the favorites of the going into season, the Lakers, the Nets. Everyone said, oh, it's going to be clearly they're in the finals, no doubt about it. LeBron, Durant, that's going to happen. And when they both have just bad years and other teams come up, it just takes away this uncertainty that people say, oh, I know exactly what's going to happen every year in the league. They don't even need to play the season. But clearly you did need because the Celtics in the middle of the year, as you said, were struggling, looked like they could barely make the playoffs and they end up, you know, getting to the, getting the NBA finals. Yeah, I mean, listen, that's all you want, right? You you want to give every team the opportunity to, to, to have a chance to compete. And, and and I think you know that's what our goal is every single year. And 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 you know some of our uh, these teams have really really drafted incredibly. I mean Memphis is a great example, right? Of how how well they have done um, with Zach Kleiman as their general manager. And 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 you know they're going to be scary here now for a while. Um, you know I think you saw at the end of the la- last season. You know I mean Zion Williamson wasn't even playing, but the Pelicans made a heck of a run in the second half of the year. Ended up you know getting into the playoffs, gave the Suns a little bit of a a push there in the first round, at, at, you know, when they were the eight seed. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's um, any unpredictability is great in sports. I mean, it's it's you don't want to show up and, and think you know the answers to the test, right? You wanna you want to be able to have um, um, a real free competition and, and, and excitement that surrounds it. And and you know, we had that this year, and I think we're really optimistic that you know that that's the era we're in right now. I don't know. When I took tests, I did like to know the answers. <laughs> but um, anyway, you know, one thing is, I we talked to, I had Marshall John Fisher on who talked about the 72 Dolphins and went through about how games were blacked out. And it was a whole battle of the NFL. Should we put games on television? Should we not put games on television? You, as director of League Operations and Communications, you have a challenge because you want to get people engaged in social media. Every time someone looks at a Zion Williamson dunk or, or a great shot, a Steph Curry shot, that's great for you on social media. Then you have the television aspect, which, you, which is important. And then you want to get people to go to the games. You just want people sitting at their home on their smartphones, checking out highlights. So it is a challenge now more than in years past in terms of we want the stadiums full, we also want people watching on TV, and we want the engagement on social media. Yeah, I mean, it's like you want your cake and eat it too, right? I mean, you know, I mean, we we certainly want all of those things. And and right now I think we feel pretty good about it, you know. I mean, from a rating standpoint, we had a really solid year. The um the attendance was in a good shape. So, um what you know, you got to focus on all the different aspects of that. You, you we need to continue to make the in arena experience one that people want to be a part of, right? And and if they aren't able to come to the game, then the TV is a is a great option for them to be able to enjoy it or you know, be able to engage in, in things on social media at either place. But, yeah, no, I mean, I, I think for us, like, you you got to focus on each experience and make it a world-class experience so that each is its own special um, place for people to go. And um, and that's a challenge for all leagues is, is how do you how do you make it special? And I think I think that's that's what we wake up every day and, 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 and try to make happen. And, um, you know, at the moment, I think we feel like we're in a pretty good position in that. But um, but, you know, you always got to stay on top of it because there's new uh, advances in technology. There's new advances in how people consume products. Um, and you just got to make sure you're on top of that, all those transitions so that you can take advantage of it. 
I've been to about 25 of the arenas, the 29 arenas of the NBA, and, and it just shocked every time I just you know go to the arenas, go to the VIP sections. Not, when I say VIP, they're not VIP. There's so many different uh, clubs and everything in, in the in the Miami arena. There's like seven or different different places. I wouldn't even call them VIP because it's like everybody can go in one. I think that adds so much experience. You have people in Miami staying after the game, hours after the game. They're getting there early, which is great too. The only thing I'd like to see a little bit is. Sometimes, like in the playoffs, like at halftime, you know, when they come back from halftime, and this has the end of the same problem, like there's nobody in the seats. And that, I wish mm-hmm. there was some way to, to eliminate that. But, but it is um, great to see these arenas. You see Philadelphia talked about a new arena, about what they're able to create. It's more of a destination. People are there before the game and after the game. Yeah, it's all about the experience. You know, I mean, you know, when I go to a football game or I go to a baseball game, like you, you, you want to be able to um, have a reason you're there and not just be it's the same thing as you get when you're on, te- you know, watching on television. And, you know, as a, it's funny, I always relate this to, you know, I'm a Notre Dame grad and people complain about putting a jumbotron in Notre Dame Stadium. Well, I, you know, I hate to say it, but like you have to make the experience worth it. And if people are coming to games at a football stadium or even a basketball arena and they can't see replays, then they're not getting the same experience they could get at home. So, so like all of this matters. And and I think sometimes people, you know, traditionalists, and I frankly am a little bit of a traditionalist, but like you got to evolve and and you got to you got to really focus on on the experience that people are going to have when they're you know when they're taking in your product and. If you start to lose sight of that, that's when you lose your fan base. And that's, you know, the fan base is the lifeblood of everything we do. Um, one of the things that in the playoffs, I joined the regular season in the playoffs, it seemed like there were a lot more blowouts. I mean, I know it's like going at no one ever, if someone said that Dallas was going to blow out Phoenix at home in a game seven, you're like, that'll never happen. I mean, it'll never, ever happen. It happened. Is there something? I mean, it's hard to think what the NBA could do about that, but I did notice this year there happened to be in the playoffs during the season some of these 20, 30, 40 point leads. I mean, I remember the joke of the NBA was I'll just turn it on to the end of the game. If you turn it on to the end of the game, you probably missed, you know, that's where the, the runs in the first and second quarters. Yeah, I mean, you know, listen, the truth of it was the first two rounds um, until the very end of the second round were we probably were in a better position than we have been as far as close games. However, we had a we had a really cold spell there, starting with that Dallas Phoenix game in Game Seven, and kind of carried us in the conference finals a little bit. And we didn't have a lot of close games at, at, at you know at that time. And even in the finals, you know there were some good games there, but everyone ended up outside of ten. So, my, you know, my guess is it's just it's just circumstances. You know, um, I think the three point shot probably is a factor in that. You know, one team gets hot, one team gets cold, and the and the delta between the two teams can can flip pretty quick. But I, I, I don't think that's anything we're terribly concerned about. I think we thought we had a really good competitive regular season. I think the first two rounds we felt really, really good about. So I think that was just a matter of circumstances more than anything else. You heard that you hear the we talked about the three point shot and about rules. You hear the complaints about the three point shot. I mean, I have so many guests on my show. I seem to ask everybody about that, about the use and how it's being used, and whether the lines should be moved back or not moved back. Um, and is there what is the thought about the three-point shot? And also another rule that was changed: the take foul uh, was eliminated. I think that you passed that. So, but is there what's the thought more on the three-point shots? And and is the league happy where it is right now? Um, listen, there's a lot of three-point shots being taken. Um, and I, is that bad? I don't think so, but it's something we have to keep monitoring. 
you know, and make sure that it doesn't become too one-sided. Um, and that it's, again, something that appeals to the people that are consuming your product. And as of now, it seems like the Steph Curry era has become, the three-point shot has become the must-see event, right? I mean, it's it's almost surpassed dunks now as the most exciting play in basketball. And so um, so I, I think we're okay, I think, but I don't, like with everything else, I think we should we should keep a, a real close eye on that and monitor it and, and make sure um, it's not getting too, too one-sided and um, and you know the question is though how do you solve it like you know I mean do you do you make you know I think the corner three is probably you know it's the closest one so more people use that um, you know how do you deal with that Th- those are the questions you ask yourself but I don't think we're there yet as as far as the transition take foul uh, I think there was like a large worldwide celebration when we passed that rule I mean no I mean you know the fun of NBA basketball really all basketball is the free-flowing nature of the game I mean these these intentional transition take fouls were just um, they were you know they were just awful to watch and and I think as a whole we realized that we needed to step in and make you know make a heavier penalty associated with them um, we saw it work in the G League. Uh, we've seen it work internationally. Um, so we're super optimistic that when we when we tip off play in October, uh, that we're, we're going to see much, much less of that, and we're going to see more and more of uh, running, free-flowing basketball, which I think is what we all want to see. Yeah, i got to give Jeff Van Gundy somewhat some sort of credit because during the finals you hear him saying, why is why are Tatum and Brown taking take fouls? I mean, you have your superstar players just throwing a foul away. You're given six fouls. If you're going to spend two of them on take fouls, you know you're going to put them in foul trouble. So he did. He was making some good points, but I, I thought teams take those well, the quote take fouls like much too much in terms of what they were doing. Uh, yeah, Jeff. Jeff and Stan, I think, had family gatherings where they cursed out the take foul. They, they, they. Neither one of them could live with that any longer. I think we, I think we added years to their lives by uh, by putting uh, by putting that rule in. They're going to be they're going to be happier watching the game. So you started a couple of years ago this play-in tournament. I was sort of on the fence whether I liked it or not. I did, but of course I watched it. They're exciting. It, it, it seems that some of the best games of the tournament have been these play-in tournaments. You allow ten teams in uh, the, the, the first, the, the final six, then play. But you're also getting excitement that teams are trying not to get, you know, get the top five seeds, so they're not actually quote in the play-in in the play in the play-in tournament or the six seeds, so they're not in the play-in tournament. That, you know, I read. I, when we first put this in, anybody I talked to, I tried to explain to them how that was the best part of it. Sure, the single elimination games were going to be great, right? Like, we, we were excited for those. Those were going to be fun. But the idea of creating different tiers of matter where you finish – it really was going to improve the regular season. And what we've seen is, as you know, as you mentioned, everybody's now battling to get out of that seven spot, right? They want to, they want to get up in that top six, um, you know, and then if you're an 11, 12, 13 team, you were always out pretty, pretty much by March. Now you have a chance to get into that nine and 10 spot and potentially make the, 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 the playoffs. It now matters to you. So now more meaningful games. So, it's it's very funny. A lot of people took it initially that we were going to, by adding teams, we were going to make the regular season less meaningful. But I was really optimistic from the get-go it was going to make the regular season more meaningful. And I think that's what we've seen. And, and we're super excited about it. We've been really lucky, generally speaking, on how many good play-in games we've had during you know the last two seasons. You, know, you, you don't know if that's always going to work out, but we've had some, some really good ones. 
Um, but the, the general nature of how it has impacted our regular season, I think, is been league changing, and and I think it's the best part of it. There's been some talk about a mid-season tourney. I'm I'm sort of a more hesitant even on this about like having some sort of tournament in mid-season. I know you did the WNBA, but has that have any traction? Is there a way? What are you thinking about in terms of the, the mid-season tournament, which they do in other sports? Like it's not just you know they do it in Europe, they do it in soccer. I mean they do it in a lot of places. It just seems a little unusual because we don't have it like in baseball or football or basketball or hockey here. I think that's the biggest problem is that people aren't used to it. And and I and I, listen, the way I look at the midseason tournament is this: is if the worst outcome of the midseason tournament is we're going to get an extra Warriors Celtics game in December or an extra you know Lakers Nets game in in, in December, um, I think we're probably all winning there. You know, I mean, like you know, I mean, like it's the idea is to set it up in such a way in which you in which you create a tournament setting and single elimination and have your best teams playing. And, and if, you know, those games wouldn't necessarily exist otherwise, you know, some of those teams are only going to play twice a year if in the same conference, three times a year, this possibly gives you additional opportunities to see the best teams play against each other. So, if that's the way it works out, I, I think everybody will ultimately come around to thinking it's a pretty good idea. The, the key is the incentives. Like you, you want it to be important to the players, the coaches, the teams um, uh, as a whole, and that's what we got to. That, that's the key to it. How do we create the right incentives, incentives to make it matter? And when it does, I think it's something we might try. But you know, we're not quite there, but we're continuing to look at it. I have a friend, a good friend of mine, was this whole weekend was talking my ear off this idea of having a the like a Ryder Cup, big golf fan. So he says, why can't you just put the Europeans and, and you know, you can put maybe the Canadian group players in, in one group and playing against the USA because so many of these great foreign players are on it. It's rarely you have some countries that have all the good foreign players because Yugoslavia at one point, but now they're divided in different countries. So it's mm-hmm. hard, but if you put the best foreign players against the best American players, say a three-game series, just that uh, in, in the summer, sometimes in the odd years when there's no world championship or Olympics, that might be a draw and might get some of the players to go over there and play and, and expand the, uh, the reach of the game. Yeah, I'd really heard that one before. I mean, I, like, again, it's all about incentives, right? I mean, you know, what what entices people to want to play in that? What, you know, what is the thing that gets fans to want to watch it? Like those are all the things you have to try to build. I mean, like in a, in a vacuum and, you know, it sounds like it could be really kind of fun and interesting, but you know, like with anything else, we're dealing with human beings here and we got to figure out the right way to, to, to put in the right incentives to make anything work along those lines. Um, And now I always ask you the same question and I just, we're both from Altoona, Pennsylvania. We just didn't have a team growing up. And I, you know, if there ever before I die, if a team would go to Pittsburgh, I'm a Heat fan now because I'm <laughs> I would do anything to be a Pittsburgh, whatever they want to call it, fan for the NBA. But what is the expansion? I mean, I keep hearing the Seattles and you keep hearing the Vegases and it just doesn't, it's just, you hear words, but it doesn't seem like they're, you're any closer to putting some of those cities in the expansion list. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know that that's necessarily anything that's really pending. Um, you know, I mean, obviously it's going to happen at some point. I mean, every, every league expands at some point, but you know, we started the conversation talking about, you know, how we're really reaching a, a hell of a parody situation within our league. And so I think we feel good about where the league is, the number of teams, the number of players, uh, the competitive level of the games, the competitive level of each of the teams. And so, 
um, you know, there's not a real urgency to rush into anything like that. Do, do I think it'll happen at some point? I'm sure it will, but I don't think it's anything that's really on the horizon for right now. I mean, the good thing that you have is that these teams are have new stadiums in markets. You don't hear a lot of, oh, this team has to move. They can't stay in the market. It's not being supported in the market. Like you see in baseball, when Tampa, everyone's talking about Tampa moving. They play in front of a few thousand people. Or Oakland playing in front of 2,000 people if they get a new stadium. So I think that's a benefit you have as a league. I mean, that you actually have solid, stable 30 franchises in, in arenas that they're happy at or they're building new ones. It seems that that makes it. But it, again, the, the teams, that, the cities that don't have the NBA, they, you know, they have more reason to want an NBA franchise. Well, you want to be in demand, right? I mean, <laughs> and so that's an important thing. And, and, you know, listen, there's no question if we wanted to, we could, you know, we could expand right now. Um, you know, but, you know, I think all in all, we feel like we're at a pretty good place from a balance standpoint. And, um, and um, you know, we'll keep looking at it and, you know, like I said, we might get there at some point, and, but, uh, you know, it's not something that's really on the front burner at the moment. Um, I was once going to ask you one more thing about load management and the and the concerns yeah. with that. Uh, do you feel – there's been so much talk about load management. Uh, do you feel like that's something that is being addressed by the team? I, I guess your overall sense of, of – just, just a general question about load management. You know, I think that's something when we go into collective bargaining that we'll probably have some conversations on. Um, you know, Adam has said that, and you know, in his most recent press conference in, in two weeks ago in Las Vegas, and um, uh, it's hard. Like, I mean, you know, listen, when we were growing up, like guys played hurt all the time. I'm not sure that was the smartest thing. Like, when when you see Kevin McHale walking around right now, I think he'd probably tell you he probably should have taken a few games off here and there, you know. And so you don't want to put anybody in a position where they're playing hurt. You don't want to put people in a position where they're doing something that could that could end up getting them hurt. So it's a fine line, but you know it's something that you know I think it's, that we'll keep looking at and and you know trying again trying to align the right incentives. So there's there's importance to to play the games and and you know I mean the the truth of the matter is is you know it's not just a player issue. I mean like sometimes the teams are you know want to be super protective on a player right and they don't want him to play even though the player says he's ready to play so um you know it's it's a it's a sort of a wide ranging issue but we made some changes a few years ago um in which guys you know in certain cases you're not allowed to rest players and i think we've seen some success there um like like with everything else people focus on the negative uh, on some of these things but i think we have made some progress in that area um, I've had the last, I would say, month two with Paul, Coach Paul Westhead with the coach of the Lakers, uh, who won the title with Kareem and Magic. And also last week I had Jeff Perlman, who was the writer of the book Showtime. I am completely obsessed with winning time. I, I watched it <laughs> three times now. I read the book now twice, Showtime, and we're ready for the interview. I don't know if you've watched it, but I know people that don't watch NBA basketball that love this show. And I just, I think it's, it's the best since uh, uh, white shadow was on. I don't think there's been another basketball series that I've liked as much as this. Um, I have watched it. Um, it's compelling as heck. Um, I, I don't, I don't always know, you know, where the reality and where the non-reality lines are. Um, but but it's it's hard to, to watch that show and not be enthralled by it. Um, uh, and it's uh, um, so yes, I, I've definitely enjoyed it. But um, um, but you know, I, I think it's like any other show. It's uh, there's a lot of drama to it too. And 
Um, I think separating it and not accepting it as all 100% things that have happened is probably the best way to watch it. I think the one good thing about it is, to get to my next question, is it, it highlights the legacy of some of these great players that played in the league. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know there was something, uh, I just, we saw hustle about Julius Irving, and this brought about Julius Irving. I mean, there's been all these great players that have played in the league. The league is such a rich history of tremendous talent. And I, I when JJ, I didn't like the JJ Reddit comment when he goes, oh, well, Bob Cousy played in a league of just plumbers, electricians, and things like that, which is ridiculous. And and I, I think that's where you want to get back to. I know the league has tried to, you guys have done a great job giving the tro- your naming trophies out after different players like Kuzi and West and doing those things, but it just seems to be that you have such a rich tradition of all these great players. It, it would be great to have you know harken back to those days and, and let people, the new people who are just you know an eight year old that's starting the game to to read about Dr. J and Will Chamberlain and Bill Russell. Yeah, I mean, listen, I'm I'm really excited about what we've been doing with the trophies, and and I you know I, I think recognizing these pioneer players. Uh, is super important. And, um, you know, my guess is, listen, you know, doing a live radio show, like you say things sometimes that you probably would, would like to take back or didn't say it exactly the way you wanted to say it. That that would be my guess on what happened there. I mean, I, I think he was trying to make a point um, about the greatness of, of some players in this era and then, you know, sort of went a little too far when talking about the guys against Koozie, uh, played against Koozie. Um, listen, I thought Draymond said it really well on Twitter the other day. I, I don't know why we always try to compare eras. Like the games are so different. You know, the idea of, you know, like the Bulls and the, the, you know, from the nineties and the Warriors in two thousands, I mean, you know, the Bulls didn't even use the three point shot all that much. Right. Like, I mean, certainly compared to now, now, you know, the three point shot is used so heavily. And so comparing eras is always hard. And then, but when you're doing it, you have to be careful not to actually act like a, pre- a previous era was so um, was so inferior. I mean, the reality is, of course, the athletes are better now. Of course, they shoot it better now. Like that's all part of the development of the sport, and that, that's going to happen. But that doesn't mean the guys that were playing back then uh, weren't super talented and and had greatness at their time too. And I and I think. Uh, having a respectful conversation about those eras is better than, you know, making grant, you know, some big uh, generalizations like were made there. Yeah. I think the league is doing an awesome job of doing that and bringing back these stars. I mean, I look, I'm older. I'm, you know, I, I, so I know some of these players, but I, I just, I find it really cool. As I said, that hustle movie that came out, um, you know, they highlighted uh, Dr. J and it was a big mm-hmm. role in that. And uh, a lot of kids I know were like, wow, I don't know. You know, they start watching his dunks and they're like, wow, that's amazing. You know, those things. <laughs> so I think that's cool. I think it's great because you have such a rich history of so many great players. It's great to bring them to life like that. Yeah, I mean, when when our people here came up with the idea on the trophies, I was so supportive of it because we have so many great players and and, and we had honored a few already, you know, um, you know, Kobe with the All-Star MVP, Bill Russell with the Finals MVP. Um, but you know, we added Kuzi and Robertson and Larry Bird and Magic um into the conference finals mix and and you know, we got some more fun stuff coming up in the fall. So, uh, so like really it, it is a major focus on us to, to really recognize our, our past ambassadors of the game. And, and, and we're going to continue to do that. That's, that's super important to everybody that works here. Well, I re- really appreciate you taking some time out talking about the NBA. We were talking to Tim Frank, 
who is the senior vice president of league operations, communications. You've been at this job. How long have you been at this job at the league right now? This will be, oh boy, this will be my 22nd season this year and my 29th overall, counting my days at the Rockets. So, so been a long, been a long road. That's for sure. <laughs> that's great. That's amazing. So, but I'm, I can't wait for the season to start. I'm I'm doing my fantasy football, getting ready for fantasy football, and I every time the roto sites come on, I just like every now and then I'm like start looking at basketball too, like it's because it's going to be in a few months too, and I'm like so excited for the season. I really we, I started this interview saying I just you can you can almost be at uh, so, uh, how many franchises? I would say almost like 25 franchises all are super excited for next year. And there's some franchises like even Detroit that has this great young talent. It's like oh, we're not going to win a title, but boy, I want to see all this great young talent. Plays. So I think that's really what's going to be so exciting about this. Next. I'm, I am pumped for this next year at the NBA. So I am too. I mean, we were talking about it yesterday. I mean, it's funny you mentioned it. Detroit was exactly who we were talking about. Like, how much fun are they going to be? You know, seeing Jaden Ivey, Cade Cunningham. I mean, this is going to be a, a super fun group. Like, um, you know, Sadiq Bey did really well there last year. Um, you know, it's it's going to be it's uh, they're the type of team we're going to see now. Can they take those next steps to to create themselves into a contender? But but like but when you know when you're talking about a team that was in the lottery is something you're really looking forward to. Those are really positive things. So thanks a lot, Tim. I really appreciate it again. Hopefully, have you on next year in the summer so we can talk a little about the NBA. I know it's so hard to get a hold of you in the season, but I tell you, I'm really fortunate that we get to hear in in July and August to be able to talk about the NBA. Uh, anytime, Ira. It's always good to catch up.